0: Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles, and we're in Mark chapter number 14. We're in Mark chapter 14 this morning. One of the most destructive forces in all of the universe is Pride. King Solomon, who the Bible says is the wisest man to have ever lived, says in Proverbs chapter 14, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now someone said, and I think rightfully so, pride is the only disease known to man that makes everybody sick except the one who has it. And pride is the oldest sin in the universe. Pride is what dislodged Lucifer from heaven. Pride is what drove our first parents out of the Garden of Eden. And pride is what is creating such a dangerous situation for the disciples here in our text. C.S. Lewis called pride the chief misery of every nation, of every family, and of every individual since the beginning of time. Pride. And Jesus has already explained to the disciples, and we saw this last week, that he would suffer. He would be rejected and killed. And then he would rise again. He said this over and over throughout our study in the book of Mark. He would suffer. He would be killed. And then he would rise again he would suffer he would be killed he would rise again we pointed out last week in this section that Jesus is demonstrating really two things to the disciples he's demonstrating first his knowledge he says this is what I came to do and of course how does he know this Ultimately, he knows it because it's what the Word of God says. He quotes here in verse number 27, For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So Jesus came to know this is the time by the Word of God. The Word of God holds for us the things that we need to know. Peter says all things necessary for life and godliness are found in this book. Everything you need to know about how to handle a particular situation is found right here in this book. So if we we want to operate with the knowledge of God as it relates to our lives, our families, our marriages, our children, our jobs, our money, our entertainments, our identities, our habits. If we want to know how to operate, we can simply look at the word of God. Jesus demonstrated this knowledge to them by telling them, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise, and you are going to be scattered. But don't worry, I will see you again. He's giving them comfort, he's pastorally ministering to them. This is what's going to happen to me, this is what you're going to do, and I will see you again. Again, he's demonstrating also his power. So we said last week, it's the knowledge of Jesus that's on display. It's the power of Jesus that's on display. That although Jesus is dying, no man is taking the life from Jesus. Jesus is gladly, freely, willingly, voluntarily laying down his life himself. And if he lays down his own life, he can pick it up again. If he lays down his own life, he can pick it up again. And that's what's on display here. And what you're noticing from the disciples is that the disciples didn't simply misunderstand what Jesus is saying. It is not that the disciples are going, now explain that to us one more time. You're going to suffer, die, and rise again. It's not that they didn't understand. It's that they didn't like what they heard. They didn't like what they, would, what they, what they heard. And so they respond to Jesus, and in their response, they are revealing their pride. Now, it's true that the the microscope zooms in, if you will, on on this one, the, the man named Peter, the guy who always seems to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. How many of you know somebody like that? It's open mouth, insert foot, right? I mean, if, it, if it's not supposed to be said, you can count on Peter saying it. If it's not supposed to be done, you can count on Peter doing it, right? And Peter, here the, micro, the microscope zooms in. But don't miss the end. Verse 31, likewise also said they all. They all are saying the same thing. They all are revealing the pride that is in their heart. Now, the reason why we're getting the microscope zoomed in on Peter is you will remember in Mark chapter 8, when we were walking through that chapter together... And Jesus had introduced the disciples, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to rise again. And Peter takes Jesus over to the side, and he goes, now listen, Jesus, I understand what you're saying, and I understand what you think you have to do, but I don't like your idea, I like my idea, so please, stop saying this over and over. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. Peter had demonstrated this kind of of relationship with Jesus over and over again. Where he thought he knew better than Jesus on how the situation should go. And here, Peter is saying, listen, everyone else may be offended. Everyone else may flee. Everyone else may run, but not I. Look at verse 29. But Peter said unto him, although all shall be offended... Yet will not I. Oh, how prone we are to overestimate our own selves. You have three ideas here about pride. Notice first, notice the danger. The danger of self-trust. The danger of pride. The danger of overestimating our own selves, of thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And Peter here demonstrates it best because in his pride, in his overestimation of himself, notice Peter gladly runs everybody else down. Oh yeah, that guy, he'll leave you. Oh, that guy, he'll definitely leave you. Thomas, he'll, he'll probably be nowhere to be found. Everybody else will run, but not me. Everybody else may have a weakness in this area, but not me. I can definitely see how all of them, the other 11, I can see how they will fall away, but not me. Man, Peter here has an overestimation of his own self. Notice Jesus counters this in verse number 30. Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. He pushes even farther. He says, Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll take it a step further, Peter. Not only will you forsake me, abandon me, desert me, not only will you run from knowing me like everyone else, but you, in fact, Peter, you will not simply desert me, you will deny me. Peter, you are telling me that you won't leave me. But I am telling you that before this night is over, You will say you don't even know me. And notice it doesn't stop Peter. Peter doesn't deal. There's no inward inspection here, There's, there's no spiritual self awareness. Look at verse 31. But he, Peter, spake the more vehemently. If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. You say, well, Pastor, what does that phrase mean, the more vehemently? Well, if you've had a two year old, you understand. You tell your two-year-old, no, you can't have that. I want it. No, you can't have that. I want it. No, you can't have that. No, no, you can't. I want it now. That is more vehemently right there. And Peter is just throwing a temper tantrum. No, 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 no. Not only will I not deny you, I- I'll die for you, Peter, for Jesus. I'll die for you, Christ. And Peter here has, a, has an overestimation of his own self. When we trust in ourselves, we find ourselves in three things. You have have these in your notes. Take, Take note of them. When we trust in ourselves, we overestimate ourselves. First, we fail to realize how wicked we really are. We fail to realize how wicked we really are. Jeremiah chapter 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's not just their heart. That's our own heart. That's my heart. That's your heart. The heart is desperately wicked, the Word of God says. And not only is it desperately wicked, but you cannot even know it. You cannot even trust it. That is why the advice to simply follow your heart is nothing but rubbish. It's rubbish. It's trash. It's no good. Why? Because you don't even know your own heart. And if you did know your own heart, you would know how wicked your heart and my heart, how it, how wicked it really is. Our hearts are far more wicked than we want to know. This is, this is the explanation to why you have all of the rebellion and the chaos and the disruption and the animosity in our culture today. This is why you have parents and children who are arguing and bickering and fighting. This is why you have family members who are opposing one another and and always contentious with each other. This is why nations go to war. This is the reason. This is why the social climate is the way that it is. Why? Because we have wicked hearts. The Bible says it like this. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So according to the Bible, what stands between me and God, what stands between you and God, is our sin, my sin for me and your sin for you. I wonder this morning, are you prepared to realize this? Are you prepared to realize that you have sinned before a holy and a righteous God and that as a result of that sin, you have been separated from God? You've been removed from God because of sin, as God is a holy and a righteous God, and he cannot associate with sin. And so our sin has separated us from him. And if you die separated from God in your sin, in this life, then you will go into eternity separated from God forever in a place that the Bible calls hell. You say, well, pastor, how, how, can I, how can I get to God? Then if I have sinned and my sin has separated me from God, how can I get to God? And the answer from the Bible is you cannot. You cannot get to God. But God came to you. And God came to you through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ And if you and I would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you shall be saved. Acts chapter 2, this same man, the Apostle Peter, he preaches this sermon. He says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You see, the only way to have your sins forgiven is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I are not just good people in need of a little bit of help. You and I without Christ are dead people who are lost because of our sin. And the only way to be made alive, the only way to truly live is to believe in Christ. Paul says it like this in Ephesians chapter 2, you Hath he quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sins?" If you're here this morning, you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Our prayer for you, my prayer for you, is that you this morning would see what Christ has done for you. How that he left heaven, he put on human flesh, he lived a perfect sinless life, he died an atoning death, and then he raised gloriously from the grave, and he did that for you. God sent Jesus into this world because he loves you, that's what. It's the most famous verse in all of the Bible, John chapter 3, verse number 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, that this morning, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, that you would be saved. That you would run, not to religion, but that you would run to relationship with Jesus Christ not simply that you would be a Christian, but that your heart would be converted, that it would go from death to life, that it would move from your own sinfulness to Christ's righteousness through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you know Christ is your Savior, you've you've been saved. We must learn also that while we are saved, from the penalty and the punishment of our sin, we struggle with sin in this life presently. We must learn to be skeptical of ourselves. Simply because you thought it doesn't mean it's right. Simply because it was your idea, that does not mean it was the best idea. Why? Because our heart is deceitful. Because we are wicked and left to our own devices. Man, we would wander from God. This is what the song says. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God that I love. You hear what that song that author is saying in the song? He's saying the same thing that we're talking about tonight. He's saying the same thing. Oh, how wicked I really am. How much I need God in my life. How much I need the Word of God shining a light into my heart. How much I need the Spirit of God leading me as I go. There is no sin. There is no degree of sin into which even the strongest of the disciples may not fall. McShane, a preacher of a few years back, he died at the age of 29. He I was preaching a sermon on this very idea, the, 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 the exceeding sinfulness of sin in our own hearts. McShane says this, the seeds of every sin known to man reside in my heart. Are you prepared this morning to make that, that acknowledgement? The seeds of every sin known to man, they live right in here. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says it the same idea, but he says it this way. But by the grace of God, there go I. If it wasn't for God's grace, if it wasn't for God's love, if it wasn't for God's word, if it wasn't for God's spirit, even the worst of sins would be carried out even by myself. McShane was in his 20s. He knew the great danger of trusting in self. Friend, it's possible that with everything you do, with everything you know, that you do not know at all. Has it dawned on you that it's possible that everything that you have done, you've gotten some of it wrong? It's a great danger in trusting in ourselves. Why? Because Man, because we are far more wicked than we realize. We trust in ourselves. When we trust in ourselves, we fail. Second, we fail to respond to the word of God seriously. This is what's happening here in the text God, through Christ, has spoken. He has given them his word. And yet, you'll notice what the disciples are doing. Instead of submitting to the word of God, instead of yielding to what Christ is saying, instead of saying, hey, you know what? Christ, what what, what do you know about me that I do not know about myself? Instead of saying that, instead of taking the word of God seriously, what are they doing? They're making all kinds of excuses, all kinds of justifications. All kinds of reasons for why it won't happen to them. Not me. Everybody else may fall, but not me. Everybody, everybody else may sin, but not me. It, it, their, their family may break up, but not mine. They may have some kind of addiction, but not me. They, they may go through that, but not... I, I certainly would never do that. That's why our self-trust keeps us from submitting to the Word of God. Listening to the Spirit of God. When we trust in ourselves, third, we fail to be gracious with our words to others. Peter says, They'll do it, but I won't. They'll do it, but I won't. You ever ever said something or thought something like, I would never do that? Anybody ever thought something or said something like that before? Let's see, raise your hand. You're in church, you better be honest. The Lord is watching. I would never do that. That's exactly what Peter is doing here. They might, but not me. They might, but not me. You'll notice here, Peter is not being gracious in his dealings with other people. The most gracious people are the people who realize how much grace they have needed. The most patient people are people who realized how much patience it has taken to deal with them. The most merciful people, people who are showing mercy, are the people who have received the most mercy. If it's true that you have received mercy and grace and forgiveness and love from God, then why would we not show mercy and grace and love and forgiveness to those around us? You do know this, right? Christians are not perfect people. How many of you know that? If you came into the room this morning thinking that Christians were not perfect, I'm sorry to disappoint you, we are not that. Christians are not perfect people. Christians are forgiven people, and there is a difference. We are people who are forgiven. We are not perfect. In fact, someone appropriately said, if you think you have found the perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. Somebody falls into sin when we hear of things or words that other people have done or said. I wonder what your response is. Is it a response of the spirit of judgment? And sometimes people will say things to me. That, did you hear about this situation? Did you hear about this person? Did you hear about this thing? And you know, I try to always let my response be, doesn't surprise me. Oh, what did you know about the person that I didn't know? That they're a sinner in need of a savior, just like I am. Doesn't surprise me. Ryle, on this point, J.C. Ryle says it like this. He says, let the, let the man condemn Peter who has never broken a promise. You see, we tend to be harsh toward others. We tend to be even more harsh toward others than Jesus was. Jesus doesn't rebuke Peter. He simply points out to Peter, no, 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 Peter, not only will you desert me, you, Peter, will deny me. But when I rise, I'll see you again. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus doesn't say, Peter, when I rise, I want to see everybody but you. How many of you, that that would have been your response, right? I'll see everybody but you. I don't want to see you again. Peter is a recipient of grace. Do you realize how much grace you and I have received? And having been a recipient of grace, should we not also show grace? There's a danger of self-trust, but there's a second thing you're seeing in this passage, and that is this. There's the danger of self, selfish presumption. Look at verse 31. But he spake the more vehemently, if I should die with thee, I I will not deny thee in any wise. And likewise also said they all. Now, what we can at least say is that Peter's heart is in the right place. And I don't think that we should fault Peter for his devotion here. The fact that Peter doesn't understand himself does not mean that that Peter doesn't love Jesus Now, he loves Jesus. He loves Jesus passionately. That's why he thinks he'll love Jesus all the way to his death. He loves Jesus passionately. He simply does not understand his own self. He has no spiritual self-awareness. And so he doesn't own up to his own frailty because in in Peter's mind, his expression of devotion here cancels out any prospect that he would desert Jesus or deny Jesus. By the way, this happens to all of us. We all think that our own devotion, well-meaning, our good intention, that it is enough to cancel out any prospect that we may or may not be doing something that would bring dishonor to the Lord. The the husband thinks, well, I love my wife and and so that's enough. So I'm not going to press into including her. I'm not going to press into showing her affection. I'm not going to to lean on her as a completer for me, as a help me. I I, I love her. That ought to be enough. I'm just going to do my own thing. The wife thinks, well, I love my husband, so that's enough. So if I just do the little flirty thing at the office, no big deal, because I love my husband. That's enough. I I wouldn't possibly desert. Young adults think, well, it's just a website, and and I love Jesus, and I can control whatever post I'm on, whatever page I'm scrolling through. It's no big deal. I love Jesus enough, so I couldn't possibly desert, I wouldn't possibly deny We all are prone to think, well, it's just a little lie, it's a little gossip, and I'm a Christian, or I'm a pastor, or I'm a staff member, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a longtime church member, or I'm a giver, or I'm in the choir, or I'm in the ensemble, or I help in the nursery. So it couldn't possibly be that... I might deny or I might desert. We think that our devotion alone cancels out any prospect of desertion. And what we are seeing in this passage here, even the most devoted of the disciples, the one who loved Jesus and even willingly, gladly expressed his love to Jesus, he pulls the sword. He swings for the man's head. Even this man deserts and denies the Lord Jesus because he does not have a spiritual self-awareness. He thinks more highly of himself than he ought to think. What is true of Peter is true of you and me. What is true of Peter is true of you and me. Our selfish presumption causes us to influence others in a way that leads them away from God, away from Christ. When we are prideful, we fail to realize the way that we influence others. That's your first subpoint here. If Peter was a bad influence on the rest. Notice once Peter says this, look what everybody else does, verse 31. Likewise, also said they all. They all went, yeah, and count me in on that. What he said. Peter was always the influencer, wasn't he? You remember after the crucifixion? Remember what Peter said? I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. And what did they all say? They all said the same thing. Whether you like to realize it or not, friend, you have an influence on the people around you. There's no greater influence in the room than the influence of a dad and a mom. Look here. There's no greater influence in the room than the influence of a dad and a mom. Listen, dads, you have an influence on your family. You are moving them toward God and good or you are moving them away. But you are moving them one way or the other. Do not fool yourself into thinking that you are not influencing them at all. Listen moms, you have an influence in your family. Wives have an influence over their husbands. Husbands have an influence over their children. You have an influence on your friend group. You have an influence in your Sunday school class. You have an influence in the, with the team that you serve with here at the church. You have an influence even sitting in that seat right there. Even you have an influence on the people around you. Do you know why? Because you always sit in the same seat. We come in, we're like, that's not your seat. Someone's still supposed to sit in that seat. The same seat. Some people think the T in Baptist stands for the same seat every week. It doesn't stand for that, just so you know. But people come in, I I didn't notice so-and-so around me. I was looking for them. They weren't there. Oh, well, they sat on the other side of the auditorium. What? They're not allowed to do that. You have an influence on the people around you. Even already this morning in this service, you've influenced people around you. We fail to realize when we operate in our pride, when we operate inside of our own selfish presumption, I'm just going to do what I want to do because it'll make me happy. We fail to realize how that influences people around us. It influences the people around us. Second, it's a failure Our failure, rather, does not have to be final. Failure does not have to be final. So if in all of this you're saying, man, this this, feels like there's something behind Peter here. It feels like there's somebody operating behind the scenes. You're right on track. Luke, when he records this event, says that this is actually the activity of Satan, which is the driving force here. Luke 23, when Jesus answers Peter, he, he responds to him in this way. Simon. You remember that? Simon is Peter's old name. You know what the name Simon meant? Simon meant shaky. Shaky. And Jesus gave him a new name. He says, your name isn't Simon any longer. You're, not, you're, not, you're, no, you're no longer shaky. Your name? Your name is Peter, which means little rock. He went from shaky to rocky. He went from somebody who's just this way and this way and this way and this way and this way. He's just driven by his emotions, driven by his mouth, driven by the first thing that comes to his mind. He's shaky. He's just, this is, this is where he's at. He's bouncing here. He's bouncing there. He has no purpose. He has no focus. He has no intentionality. He has no overarching goal for his life. There's no seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's not, that's not there for him. He's just everywhere he goes. And Christ enters into his life life and what does he become? He's no longer shaky. Now he's rocky. Now he's someone you can build on, someone you can count on, someone who'll use his influence for good and for God. Shaky becomes rocky when shaky meets grace. Some of us were shaky. And shaky in our leadership in our house, shaky t- talking to our wives about the word of God, talking to our kids about the word of God, shaky witnessing at church, sh- or in, in, in the office, shaky in the neighborhood. Should I tell them I'm a Christian? Should I not tell them I'm a Christian? Shaky. Some of us are shaky. How do, how do we become rocky? How do we become stable? How do we find some strength? Through grace. Failure does not have to be final. F- finish this for me. Three strikes and your. For Peter, three strikes, but you're not out. Why? Because of God's grace. Christ doesn't throw him off the team. Christ doesn't take the uniform back. Christ doesn't send him home. He doesn't send him down to the minors. No. Jesus didn't reject him because of his failure. Jesus loved him. Jesus loved him to the very end. And Jesus won't reject you because of your failure. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you to the very end. The song goes, Jesus knows all about our troubles. Jesus knows all about our struggles. Every last one of them, Jesus knows about. What kind of wonderful friend is Jesus? He's the greatest friend in all the universe. Jesus says, I will, I will be struck down, you will scatter, you will fail, you will fall, you will desert, but I'll see you again. You know this morning, if you want to have spiritual self-awareness, you need to realize how dangerous it is to trust in yourself. The third point here, you need to develop self forgetfulness. You need to develop self forgetfulness. The word is literally humility. That's the the biblical term for it. You need to humble yourself. Humble yourself. I got this for illustration here. Tell me that ball, Ethan. Tell me that thing. It's a basketball. This basketball, in my hands, is no good. I like to play, but I'm I'm, I'm terrible. I don't have a good shot. I'm not very fast. I can't jump very high. Probably wouldn't get picked up on your team. Here's this basketball. This basketball, in my hands, is not It's not very impressive. But if you put this basketball in the hands of Michael Jordan, the greatest of all time, now that's pretty impressive. If you watch what he does with this, that would be impressive. The way he could shoot it, the way he could slam it, the way he could run down the floor with it, the way he could pass it. It's something altogether different when it's in his hands. But the same is true with your life. My life in my own hands isn't worth very much. My life trying to live for my own purpose will leave me empty. My life simply being lived according to my own feelings. will be disappointing. But my life in the hands of the Lord is of infinite joy, contentment, fulfillment, and meaning. You know what pride is? Pride is saying, I want the ball in my hands, not yours, not Christ, not God's. Just give it to me. Pride is being the ball hog, thinking you know better than him. If we were playing a game and I was on Michael Jordan's team, how silly would it be for me to hold the ball and say, hey, Clear the floor. In fact, just go sit on the bench. I got this. You'd say, Pastor, we love you, but you're an idiot. Right? And how silly is, is it for us to take the life that God has given to us and say, hey, hey, hey. I got this. Don't worry. Don't worry, God. Don't worry, Christ. Don't worry, Spirit of Spirit of Christ, don't don't worry, I, I got this. Watch, watch what I can do with this. How silly is it? How silly is it that we wouldn't give ourselves to him? How prideful is it that we would hog what he gave us? A couple ways to develop humility. Let me give them to you just from the text. Look at them quickly. We'll look at these more next week with the Lord's help, but let me show you three of them. Next week, we'll talk about this one, the the privilege of prayer. You want to develop humility? Number one, pray. Pray. I don't don't mean simply to pray for humility. I mean simply to pray. You know why? Because when you pray, you know what you're saying? I can't do this alone. I got to have the Lord's help. What, what, what's, what's Jesus telling the disciples here? Watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray. You're going to see it next week. Five things that we enter into when we pray with the Lord. But that's what he's doing here. Pray, pray, humble yourselves, humble yourselves. Peter, realize that you, you, you need God to help you. What does Peter do? He doesn't pray. He sleeps like some of you right now. Could you not watch with me these 45 minutes? Pray. The opposite of a prayerful person is a prideful person. Prideful people are not prayerful people. Pray. Second, worship. Worship. Put your focus on him. Notice what he says to them. This was the last, the last word of the last verse that we read, verse 34. Watch. Watch. What's he saying? Put your eyes on me. Watch me. Watch me. Keep your focus on me. You know what prideful people do? Prideful people take their eyes off of him and they put their eyes on themselves. I'm not not seeking him. I'm seeking me. I'm not living for him. I'm living for me. I'm not using all that he gives me for his honor and his glory. I'm using it for me and my glory. I'm not doing whatsoever I do, whether eat, drink, or be. I'm, I'm not doing these things to his honor and glory. I'm doing them for me. Watch. You want to be humble? Pray. You want to be humble? Put your eyes on Christ and Christ alone. You want to be humble? Third one. Third one. Encourage. Notice what he does. He takes James and John and Peter. He brings the three of them away. And you know what they should have been for each other? They should have been encouragement to each other. Hey come on man let's stay awake. We have the we have the privilege of praying with Jesus. And instead of being encouragement to each other what what happened? What happened? Man they were influencing each other to take a nap. Encourage encourage listen you and I have a unique privilege to be a part of a wonderful institution that was created by God called a local New Testament church. And church is not just the place you go. We've said this over and over. Church is not just a place you go. Church is people that you're with. It's people that you're with. You're entrusting yourself to them. They're entrusting themselves to you and you're sharing and encouraging and loving and caring and meeting the needs, encourage one another. You say, Pastor, I wish somebody would encourage me. I wish I had that kind of person here at the church. Great news. If you want a friend, be a friend. If you want a friend, be a friend. For a man to have friends, he must show himself friendly. Now, let me tell you, that, that doesn't mean walk around. Will you be my friend? Will you be my friend? That, don't do that. No one's going to like you if you do that. No, just here, here, here's a better way. Just find someone to encourage and just encourage them. Here's how, you, here's how you find a friend. Find someone to encourage and just be an encouragement to them. And you know what you'll get in return? You'll get encouragement in return.